follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Hello and welcome to Business Reinvention. I'm Nancy Lynn. Every week, we bring you thought-provoking ideas from a different industry so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, I think what's on a lot of people's mind these days is healthcare. Um, the recent launches of health insurance exchanges are putting the healthcare reform front and center for all of us again. And not only are the consumers trying to figure out the potential impact on them, the healthcare providers are also anticipating big changes in the way they run their businesses. And they're now compelled to shift their focus to an outcome-based model. Um, And one of the implications for that is a redistribution of risk from patients to providers. What does that mean and what's the industry doing to prepare for that? Well, that's the focus of today's story. And joining me for the discussion is Dr. Darren Schulte, President and Chief Medical Officer of Apixio. Hi, Darren. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for having me today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, you know, healthcare is um, such a hot topic um, for, for many years now, and it also has always been very controversial um, as well from the very start. Um, what part of Affordable Health Care Act do you think is least understood um, but very important for us to be aware of? Yeah, I think the Affordable Care Act is its a fundamental reengineering of the way in which um, health care is going to be paid for and really delivered, uh, really with the intent of providing uh, hopefully affordable and accessible health care. Um, one of the, uh, much of it is, is um, not well understood, both in the public and as well, surprisingly, even among those in healthcare. Uh, I think that some of the basics, such as the fact that now individuals can obtain uh, insurance uh, and the price that they pay won't be related to their uh, pre-existing conditions were they to have any, is something that's still not really understood by many and is a big deal um, because prior to that, insurance companies could could price many individuals out of the insurance market by virtue of um, charging them a, a lot of money or just simply saying no to those that have had a history of cancer, a uh, history of um, some sort of mental illness or some other history that uh, insurance companies deem as being too expensive to to basically cover. Um, and so that, that really is one of the cornerstones for um, providing accessible health care. 
uh, and then certainly affordable health care by virtue of the um, maximum set on how much patients pay, individuals pay every year in terms of out-of-pocket, um, not only deductibles, but, you know, um, payment for, for health care that the insurance companies now have to cover. There is no maximum lifetime um, ca- uh, uh, amounts uh, that the uh, then insurance companies have to adhere to, which is also a big deal. Um, so you can no longer feel as an individual you're going to go bankrupt over uh, simply being treated for a heart attack or for cancer. Um, so that's, that's really a big deal and I think unfortunately not well understood again among the public uh, and even the ramifications among those within the healthcare uh, industry. Now, the other bit of news which is causing some uh, perhaps controversy is the fact that now health insurance plans need to provide a, a set um, menu of benefits related to mental health, related to prevention. Um, and so, unfortunately, that's caused some consternation because some health plans are now being considered uh, illegal uh, under the Affordable Care Act because they don't provide those minimum set of benefits. But I think in the long run, that's going to provide um, a way for individuals to have the kind of policies that really are going to cover them when they need it um, and uh, rather than sort of bare-bones policies that really won't be able to be there for them when they do have an unfortunate situation such as something uh, landing them in the ER or some uh, uh, condition that they may have that is going to be very costly. Mm, wow, I think everything you had just mentioned um, is really exciting news for consumers. Um, and I agree with you. Uh, I mean, even though a lot of people are aware of the fact that um, you cannot be rejected for health care coverage because of pre-existing condition, but most people, I would say, are not aware of the fact that it won't affect their pricing either. So that's really huge, And but that also means that it will affect the cost structure um, that health um, care industry um, is managing right now. And I think the other thing that will further impact that is the outcome-based model, which I mentioned in the intro, and, and that's going to be the new paradigm for the industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about that so that the audience can have a better understanding of the scope and the implication of that? Right. So another, under the Affordable Care Act, there's a number of innovations that are um, being put into place, um, some of which are being driven by um, Medicare, um, what health policy experts and others have realized is that our current way of paying for health care, uh, which is to pay for everything that's done. If you go to the physician office and you get treated, um, each one of those treatments or procedures or things that's done to you is paid separately. And that really isn't the way we ought to incentivize health care delivery because it incentivizes doing more. And doing more doesn't necessarily mean better care. Uh, means costlier care certainly, and it may not it doesn't uh, tie to necessarily better outcomes. And so, what's now being considered is paying for value um, contracts that will necess- will say that you know we're going to pay based on the value of care that's being re- uh, received or the outcomes, rather than just paying for everything that's being done re- without regard to what the outcome is. And so, there's a bunch of different innovations around uh, payment models um, driven by Medicare and. Um, that will look at uh, this more fee for value, which I think in the long run as well will provide the right kinds of incentives to eventually to get better health and do so at a uh, lower cost. 
Mm, yeah, that's indeed another innovation. And I think one of the implications for that is that preventive care is going to be given more attention. Um, and many of the drugstore chains actually see this as a growth opportunity for them and have created retail clinics inside their stores. Um, uh, for example, Walmart has just recently teamed up with uh, Theranos, which produces faster and less invasive um blood tests, and some believe that this partnership could potentially help Walgreen to transform its pharmacies into disease management centers. And I'm just curious what you think about the idea of in-store medical clinics. Is that a good idea from your perspective? I think it's a good idea. I think access to care is one of the biggest issues that um, causes people to go to, say, the emergency room to get the care they could receive in the doctor's office. And the reason why they do that is because, you know, physicians' offices are, may not, are not open necessarily at the times in which are most convenient for working adults. And so, um, you know, the idea is to provide care in settings that are very convenient in ways that address problems before they get bigger. Um, the example of going to Walgreens. So today, without the ability of getting your flu shot at Walgreens, you'd have to make an appointment at the doctor's office to go and then, by the way, pay for an office visit and then pay for the flu shot. Um, and so what happens is some decide, well, I don't have the time or I, it's not convenient for me to do this, and so they go without the flu shot. Uh, and then that may result in an unfortunate case of the flu, which may then, depending on the patient's preexisting conditions, may land the patient in the hospital. So a simple flu vaccination at a Walgreens that's very convenient and accessible um, and relatively affordable can mean the difference between, you know, the, uh, the influenza and perhaps something much worse. And so that convenience is really something that is great. I think overall healthcare needs to change in which care needs to be delivered where the patient and the individual is, not necessarily where the doctor is or the hospital mm. is. And so this, this, what I call care where the patient is, care in the home, care where it's convenient, is really going to make a fundamental change in not only delivery of care, but I think the way in which care is provided um, that will be proactive, which is all about prevention, prevention either to prevent disease or prevent uh, conditions such as heart disease from getting worse. Um, And so, yes, anything, care clinics in the Walgreens, care clinics at work, work site clinics, which is another big uh, innovation that larger self-insured companies such as Boeing have taken on so that the employees can go at their lunch hour. Um, the ability to provide care in the home with mobile devices that can monitor patients so that they don't have to be in long-term care facilities but can be cared for in the home. And this is maybe elderly patients with heart disease or other conditions that could be successfully managed, you know, using telemonitoring and home monitoring devices. These are the kinds of things that are going to make not only a better quality of care but a better quality of life. And so certainly it's something that I would applaud and hope that that would improve um, and I think the innovations under the Affordable Care Act and others will really certainly um, propel these kinds of um, new care delivery models. Mm. So do you, do you know if hospitals, you know, from talking with them, um, do they see this as a competition or do they welcome the new development as well? Hospitals are going after a fundamental change in which to provide their, their business. Um, you know, I think hospitals for the long time under this fee-for-service model, it was all about attracting more patients to the hospital. And so the idea that if you were to leave the hospital and get discharged and come back for a condition similar to what you were admitted for, the hospital still made money. Now, obviously, the physicians in the hospital themselves are, uh, are interested in providing good quality care. 
but there's no incentives in trying to keep patients from coming back to hospital, which is why the Medicare recently has said we're not going to pay for a patient who is discharged from the hospital with, say, heart disease. If they come back within 30 days for something um, similar, um, we won't pay for it. It's called a readmission penalty. And mm-hmm. that's to incentivize hospitals to, you know, provide the best care and to ensure that when the patient leaves the hospital, he or she is well followed, followed up for and cared for. Um, but beyond that, I think the hospital model is changing. Under these payment delivery models where it's more value-based, hospitals are being seen as a cost center, a place where you don't want patients to go to if you can avoid it, like the ER or the hospital. You'd rather they be cared for in the home and the clinic and the, you know, prevention and all the rest. So... Hospitals are fundamentally having to change their business model as well because they're going to see that um, the incentives are for patients to remain out of hospital and therefore, you know, their business needs to change as a, as a result. Mm, sounds like the healthcare reform, which is pretty new, has already triggered um, some changes. Um, so how would you describe the sentiment of the provider or the healthcare industry in general right now? It's, it's changing. I think everybody, well, many folks will see this as a positive development, but it, it depends on kind of where you sit as to how it affects you. Um, certainly there is continuing cost pressures that will uh, reduce, you know, certainly reimbursements um, for certain specialty type of uh, procedures or specialists in general. Um, you know, hopefully with that you would improve uh, the reimbursement to primary care, which is, you know, I think the first line of, of, of treatment for individuals and keep them from getting, you know, disease and, and, and the like. Um, and so it's really, I think it's, it, it depends on where you sit. If you're a pharmaceutical uh, firm or you're a firm that's making a new device, um, you know, it's a new world in which you have to demonstrate the value of what you're providing, not just... Um, you know, it's, it's a fancy new medication or device. Um, if you're a hospital, as I mentioned, you're going to have to look at trying to provide care in which the patient doesn't come back for something they, would, they were admitted for. Um, and um, if you're a physician and you're a specialty physician, um, you're going to get pressures on reimbursement for things that before you were being paid, paid to do. So there's pressures on the subspecialists and, and the like, all with the intent of trying to reduce the cost of care um, because now it's one out of every five dollars spent in the U.S. is spent on healthcare, and with an aging population, that's only going to get worse. So, um, but overall, I think there's it's positive uh, the 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 reform. Yeah, I think you just kind of describe the, the scope of the change that's about to come. Uh, I, I don't think there's anybody who's not going to be impacted um, by the new reform. So we have a lot more to talk about, but let's first take a quick break. Um, I also want to remind the audience that some of the podcasts from the program are now available for sale, and your contribution will help support the continued production of the insightful discussion like the one we're having today. So go to bizreinvention.com to find out more information. We'll continue with the conversation after these messages. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Social media is growing at an astounding rate. In just virtually five short years, we have seen YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter take the world by storm. How do you effectively make social media work for you? Tune in to The Social Universe with host Kurt Wilhelm. We'll show you how to market your business or yourself to get ahead, especially in unstable economic times. We'll also discuss practices that you can apply to increase visibility and revenue as you unlock the mysteries of the social universe. The Social Universe is broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, Daryl, we began by talking... Um the overall impact of healthcare reform, and um, so it definitely points out um, that the healthcare industry will have to change the way they run their business um, and reevaluate their cost structure and also their risk uh, management strategies. Uh, so, what are some of the risks that they now have to manage that they didn't have to before? So, um, if you take a uh, let's take Medicare as an example. So, Medicare. Um, Ten years ago, um, and still for 70% of the lives that are managed, that are Medicare beneficiaries, as I mentioned, the contracts Medicare has with um, provider organizations is they'll pay for services that are rendered to those beneficiaries per a contract that they have in terms of negotiated rates. Um, what Medicare decided to do, it was about seven years ago or so, is create more of a um, HMO-style um, program for their beneficiaries. And so what Medicare has done is created a uh, what's called Medicare Advantage Program, in which Medicare will pay one global fee, capitated fee, um, in monthly installments to a health plan um, to cover care for that beneficiary. So it's a set amount, and it's supposed to cover the, all the costs for that beneficiary for a year, and it's based on a predictive risk model. And so, therefore, it's the health plan that then contracts with the provider groups to say, you know, we're going to have you start sharing this risk, meaning that, it, you're going to now manage the Medicare individual with an eye towards being sure that he or she stays healthy, um, stays out of high-cost uh, hospitals, uh, doesn't get necessarily high-cost services that don't provide value, um, because we're only getting one fee from Medicare to do this, capitation. Um, and therefore, there's incentives to really look at the whole of the patient, coordinating their care, being sure they're getting the best value of care, and doing so in a way that doesn't get let costs go out of control. And so now 30% of Medicare 
beneficiaries are in this Medicare Advantage program, this globally capitated program, and it's very similar to the way Kaiser provides care to its individuals, Kaiser being both a health plan uh, and a provider of care. And so these are the kinds of innovative contract payments that is going to, when I mean shift risk, the risk is now in the provider groups and the health plan to really look at the cost of care and the value of care and not simply bill, in this case, Medicare uh, or an insurer every time some service is provided for an individual, regardless of the value that the service provides. Mm, so are you saying that each individual will get a different annual coverage based on their condition, or is this the average amount that will apply to all the patient base that they have? Yeah. Under Medicare Advantage, each individual actually gets a different amount of um, dollars um, by Medicare. So Medicare will actually compute a project, projected or predicted 12-month cost. So this year, there'll be a prediction of what next year's costs will be for an individual. And based on those costs, and those are, those are based upon how many chronic conditions the patient has, the type of chronic conditions, uh, and other factors such as whether the patient lives in the U.S., whether they have, they're in a long-term care facility or they live at home. All of these go into a model that then creates a, uh, this capitation payment um, that's paid out on a monthly basis to the health plans, and then the health plans contract with physician groups. Um, for this HMO-style program, as I described it. So it's very mm. individual-specific, the payment. I mean, this is huge change because this means that the hospitals have to have very good grasp of individual health condition. And yet, I think many people might be very surprised to know that hospitals um, and other healthcare providers don't have access to 100% of their data, right? And, and why is that and, and what is at stake? Right, so now you're, you're correct. So now hospitals and what I call health systems, health system would be defined as, you know, a hospitals and clinics on the outside, um, places you go to, say, for your primary care or specialty care outside the hospital. There's now an incentive for those that are, for example, caring for these Medicare Advantage patients or patients under these kind of globally con- capitated contracts. There's incentives now to really understand the burden of illness for, among all of the individuals that they're caring for. And so now the incentives are there to look at data with an eye towards, you know, proactive care of an individual who has heart failure, who has diabetes, who's on the path towards potentially kidney failure and uh, look like they may be on their way towards a hospitalization or a heart attack. And that's that's a good thing because... If you think about the way medicine has been practiced, it's been very reactive. The doctor sees you when you come in and treats you for who you, for what you have and you leave, and there isn't a sense of let's figure out what, anticipate what might be happening to you and let's get on top of that and take care of it before it becomes something much bigger and much more morbid. And so that's the kind of incentives that are here. And certainly the data and looking at the data Analyzing it is going to be something of paramount importance when you're having to manage clinical and financial risk in the way I've described it under these payment models. Mm. But like I was saying, that actually most hospitals don't have access to 100% of the data, right? And I think a lot of people don't understand why this is um, because they assume they have all the information, um, all the notes that doctors took, um, everything in the system, and why is that they can't access these data? 
Okay, so the data the hospital has, they um, the hospital have the data perhaps about what the hospital has done for those patients. Um, and so if they have an electronic medical record, that certainly would be much easier to access data. And if they don't, they can somewhat access data in the handwritten notes, although it's harder to do so across the population. Um, but a hospital doesn't necessarily have what another hospital may have done for that patient or what a clinic may have rendered care for that patient. So the data isn't necessarily um, what they call um, interoperable or liquid. It isn't one that's being shared across different care sites as easily. So that definitely is an issue when you're trying to understand where that individual got care elsewhere and what was done. So you're right. The hospital or a health system doesn't have 100% of the information about what was done for an individual across a community, and that still remains a, an issue that needs to be um, addressed. And there's the explosion of electronic clinical data, and there's this assumption out there that electronic medical records will allow data to be analyzed for insights um, on how to improve overall health and healthcare. Um, is that not the case? It is the case, and so it's a good news that now over, I think, 57% of all physicians practicing in the United States have uh, an electronic medical record. Um, so step one is that healthcare data is now digitized. Um, which means that, you know, now you can make better sense of it than you could in handwritten notes. Um, the challenges are that these electronic medical records were not designed for analysis. They were designed as being electronic note, note-taking uh, application. Basically, you know, replicate what's been done on paper but make it electronic. And so it's trying to make it so that it's good for clinical documentation at the point of care, but it's one that is not very good typically to do data analysis. So those are the challenges that now health systems and hospitals are having to grapple with with this sort of EHR uh, offerings that they are um, having to to consider or use um, mm. today. And that's something that just is going to, it's going to evolve over time, but certainly it remains a big challenge. Mm. Well, some of your solutions um, that your company has uh, use um, natural language processing and machine learning um, I guess my question is that there are already a lot of big data solutions out there for different industries without using these technologies. Why does the healthcare industry need something more sophisticated? So as I described for you, if you need to understand the, how sick your patients are to provide care that's more proactive, to understand what to do for these patients. Um, and as I've described, it's data that now is just more and more is electronic. Um, healthcare hasn't had this, these, hasn't needed technologies that have been leveraged outside of healthcare, such as an e-commerce or the internet or de- uh, technologies that leverage the ability to tell somebody based on their buying habits what I ought to, you know, show them on a screen when they log into the homepage of the New York Times or something. And so this is a new frontier for healthcare. Um, it's not a new, big data has been used and these text mining capabilities you refer to have been used outside of healthcare. But it hasn't been used in healthcare to date. Certainly, Pixio is one of the companies at the forefront of, of doing this. But you have to be mindful of the particularities of healthcare data. It's not the same as data that may be on the web for purposes of advertising or retailing. It's, it's very particular to healthcare. And so there's many challenges, um, not just in text mining, but privacy and security interoperability, understanding data from one care site or the one, one type of physician notes from another. Lots of different challenges that you need to tackle um, before you sort of be able to successfully use text mining capabilities such as natural language processing to unlock the insights from these data in the EHR. 
Mm, yeah, so like where you were saying is that electronic data um, or electronic medical records are more like a PDF file and they, they can't really be converted to uh, Excel file, um, you know, just by pulling the, I guess, the written words and sometimes the handwriting is really difficult to understand. So does does your technology help understand individual style or does it just generalize um, how humans talk? It, it, try, it learns from the different ways in which uh, different physicians and providers document care. Um, it's, it learns the different manners and styles in which um, notes are written and specific uh, conditions are mentioned and for specific purposes. So we, we really have honed in on one area that is to try to understand how to assess how sick a patient is, a risk assessment. As I mentioned, it's very important as a starting, a starting point to managing a patient. Um, but there's many different ways of describing diabetes for patients and the care of that condition, and there's, and there's many different ways of representing that data. Um, and one health system may look different than another, and when AHR may represent that data is different than another. So there's different kinds of documents, formats, content, um, representation of the data, and it's varied. Um, so what we do is we train models. The more you see, the better you get. And so we've now accumulated nearly 3 million patients' data, over a 10-year period covering both information in the EHR and information that's in a scanned note prior to their EHR being implemented at a care site. And so we're learning and refining our ability to look at information that's typewritten and be able to tease out information about patient conditions, for example, and their trajectory of care um, Mm. in learning models. So this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the new uh, reform requires um, individualized health care plan. And so this is really great because for a lot of industries, it's sufficient to get aggregated data about their customer information and feedback. But this is not the case for healthcare because different doctors have different writing styles and then each patient uh, face, uh, faces different um, health condition, right? And so I think what you're doing is really kind of helping to address that, that challenge we have. Yeah, I would say exactly. So if you look at banking or retailing, there's a set, set ways in which data is represented. Um, and so I think with healthcare, you think of a couple of ways of describing big data that some have looked very in, simple models as the volume is, is large. There's lots of it. There's a variety of data in many different formats or ways. And then the, the value that you're looking to bring from it and it, with what time frame. Um, and so, yeah, I always say, look, an endocrinologist is going to describe diabetes in a different way in a note than an internist or podiatrist. And, um, again, it's, it's really important to, to be clear about that because otherwise you can make big errors and those errors have consequences. And so um, these machine learning models are learning over time and getting smarter and better with the more that they see and the better they're able to, to drive insights. Um, and so... Um, we're fortunate to be able to do that for the customers we serve and hopefully get better over time with that. Mm, very exciting. Well, let's take another break uh, before we talk some more. For more information about business innovation, please follow me on Twitter at BizReInvention or go to BizReInvention.com. We'll be back in two minutes.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Want to be empowered to take your leadership skills to the next level in your business? Tune into A Sharp Outlook, Best Practices for Success, with host Angela Sharp. Using industry-specific materials, toolkits, and expert guests from all facets of business, our program will empower you to develop a strong core in your business leadership, infrastructure, growth, and technology. A Sharp Outlook airs live every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are the challenges of economic uncertainty and the pressures of global competition wreaking havoc on your company strategy? To succeed in today's fast-paced, high-tech business landscape, companies must continually adapt while driving innovation and exploiting new opportunities. Listen for Quantum Business Insights with host Olivia Parr-Rudd. Our guests will include thought leaders from around the world discussing and exploring the concepts that will move companies forward in these uncertain times. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So we were looking at the solutions provided by Apixio before um, the break. Um, so Darren, this sounds like um, that your solutions uh, are addressing the issue of processing large volume of data, um, also the issue of data quality as well as data fragmentation issue. Um, is that kind of what you're looking at or are you looking at other new solutions as well? Yeah, we start with, what we started with is we said, look, we're going to have to process you know, large volumes of, of data in ways that um, needs to be done in a relatively short amount of time. Um, so we're talking um, many, many terabytes uh, of, of data from one organization. Uh, so uh, a 200,000 uh, uh, patient health system, you know, will have uh, as much data as a Library of Congress. Uh, and what we've constructed is a parallel computing platform um, that will enable that data to be uh, processed in a matter of of of, uh, of weeks uh, rather than months, if you think about it, it may take a hundred thousand machine hours to go through and not only process the data but recognize scan notes that are there, render the text readable from PDF notes, and then from there mine it for particular 
um, purposes in a way that is um, specific and can translate between the different ways that I mentioned physicians write down specific information about patients. So, so it's volume, it's taking that, and then with the analytics, we can do various things with the analytics, one of which is to determine the disease burden of, a, of an individual and assign codes that can be used for risk models for payments, such as Medicare Advantage I talked earlier. Um, and another is to do things like let's understand over time, construct a one long history of the patient care, a longitudinal record as it's called, and then determine how the patient's cared for in a certain uh, for certain treatment of certain diseases, and was that care pathway optimal, meaning did that get the best value that could be achieved and at what cost? And so these are the insights that could be, and it's really early days, but that's the type of thing that health systems and hospitals are going to have to start getting their head around, which is what's, what's the way in which I'm, the patients are cared for for the hip replacement or the bypass surgery, and is it that the best way to do it with seeing these specialists and this care before and after the surgery? Is that the best value we can achieve? These insights really haven't been looked at in great detail, looking at doctors' notes before these technologies were applied to the data the way we're doing it. Mm, excellent. So I could see this helping to improve the accuracy of decision-making and also cost management. Um, would this also open up new clinical research opportunities? It, it actually would. So if you actually step back and you say, now I'm going to, what we do when we look at the data to get more particular is we actually um, uh, look at data, text mine, and assign tags to information within a document. And then this tagged data can be used to create a longitudinal picture of the information, whether the patient has a condition, when the patient was treated, and a timeline. So you can create almost a mathematical representation of a patient. And now what you can, over time, and what we can say is you can now take millions of patients in this regard, and you can now ask questions such as, does this medication work better than another in treating, say, lupus or some rare disease? And you can actually set up these virtual clinical trials by looking at millions of patients with the data that they have over some period of time and ask and answer data by just observing what was done and therefore, we're going to, I believe, get insights into personalizing care that are going to really change for the better the way we deliver care and really shed new light on especially the case of treating rare diseases for which there's less published data about what works and what doesn't. And so that's really the promise of big data in healthcare, which is to really drive more insights into, from data as to what works and what doesn't, what provides value and what doesn't in terms of treating patients. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and I, I guess this can also be applied to other industry, right? Because this is like a lot of data mining at very individual level. Um, and I could see social media industry um, using this um, and probably a lot of other industries as well. Have you thought about that? We have, but there's enough health problems in healthcare that I think we want to <laughs> that, which we haven't even spoken about. You know, so far I've been talking a lot about more of what we can call kind of the payment of healthcare and the, the treatment of healthcare. But if you think about uh, individual level engagement, you know, you can think about bringing together the medical data for an individual along with the individual's habits and biometric monitoring and sensors and interacting with devices such as your mobile phone to really understand what is um, going on in terms of why the, the lifestyle of a patient and making, helping to make the right decisions 
at the time where perhaps, you know, they are going to go grab, you know, reach for that, I don't know, pastry or, or you know, at, at a moment of weakness, do something perhaps that they could be nudged in a better direction. Um, or learn from that to say, hey, you know, this is the reasons why perhaps you're not adhering to your weight loss plan or this is what's happening with your weight, you know, in terms of your heart disease. You go and maybe you're, you know, certain things you're eating or doing that's contributing to that. So it's really helping to personalize the care and provide an individual decision-making, which ultimately I think when you get a hold of your own care, I think that's really what's going to provide the best value, which we haven't even talked about, but that big data can kind of help in a... In a, in a way that's helpful, and I don't mean it to mean in a big brother way, but just kind of take all this information and integrate that and provide a better way for individuals to navigate their own healthcare. Yeah, for doctors and patients, right? Giving them more comprehensive picture of, um, you know, where they are in terms of um, their healthcare and also their personal lifestyle. Um, so another challenge the healthcare industry faces is potentially a huge increase in enrollment um, and a shift from employer-based insurance to individual insurance. Does that impact how you design your solutions or how your customers consider your products? Um, well, the more people that access care... Um, especially under the individual markets and exchanges only helps what we do. Um, the more people that access care is good generally and good for what we do, particularly because there are going to be more individuals for whom you have data and you need to manage their risk. And so um, certainly as we see tens of millions of patients previously uninsured and really only interacting with care when they showed up in the ER, unfortunately, um, when they're going to be treated more Appropriately, they're going to generate information, and that information is going to need to be used to appropriately care, manage their care. Mm. Well, with more powerful tools such as the one that you are developing or have developed um, to extract and integrate and analyze data from a variety of sources and formats, will the healthcare industry eventually need more effective security solutions to safeguard the incredible amount of new information that is going to become accessible? Yeah, I think so far we've had, um, so, so certainly security and privacy is always a paramount concern. I mean, data being, has been shared among physicians and hospitals for a long time. It's just uh, had been done on the old school way, which is using the fax machine or telephone or a courier taking a chart from one place to the next. So there's always been sharing of data, and certainly concerns around security prompted a in the 1990s, a bill that's HIPAA, which is um, for privacy and security, um, that really governs um, how you care for data, whether it's electronic data or whether it's written in some other format. Um, so certainly every entity that um, has their data used, and, and you can only use data if it's concerning treatment or payment purposes, needs to adhere to HIPAA. Um, so, And to the extent it needs to be strengthened in a new world that we live in, I think that that's certainly of, of concern, but I think right now there's pretty good standards governing the way in which information is shared and used. Certainly if you have any data breach of significance, over 500 patients, you have to announce that that has happened publicly, and so that then is a big incentive for hospitals and other institutions to be very, very, very concerned about and paranoid about security because a data breach like that can be very damaging, not only for the patients, certainly in their data, but also for the institution themselves. Mm, so, so far we talked about, you know, how 
hospitals and healthcare providers can improve the way they manage inflammation and uh, patient care. Are there other areas that can further reduce healthcare costs that you think should be given more attention? Yeah, I think actually uh, where we're going to start looking for, well, this maybe is controversial, but I know in, in England there's certainly a board that looks at the comparative effectiveness of medications and devices before they're approved for payment. And so it's in this country certainly we've given much more leeway to, for example, federal government um, insurers such as Medicare and Medicaid covering most services that they have, you know, FDA approval or approval more generally. I think that looking at whether or not the newest cholesterol medication actually provides value related to the cost and whether we should cover that in terms of enabling that as a choice, I think if we are more focused on that, I think we'll find that, you know, some devices or medication therapies or other things we're doing just doesn't provide enough benefit for the cost and therefore shouldn't be considered as an option. Um, And I think that would be one place to look. Um, And another place is we still provide, I think, 30% of care is just inappropriate care, not maybe just because it's the wrong kind of treatment, but maybe it's too much of a good thing. And so, but that may change under these payment uh, model um, changes and that's um, going away from fee-for-service. But I think looking at the comparative effectiveness of different services and treatments and therapies, whether or not, you know, something ought to be paid for, um, given what it's able to provide as value, I think would be a big, uh, enabling a big savings if we really adhere to that. But that's very controversial. Um, it's looked upon perhaps in this country as rationing or somehow keeping choice away from individuals. So that hits a very sensitive spot for sure. Mm, I think all these ideas that you mentioned um, kind of, again, validate how important it is to have really accessible information so that um, everybody in the ecosystem can better understand um, the impact of different approaches and make better decisions and come up with better ideas to improve the system even further. Um, so definitely a great start what you are doing and really exciting to see um, how long, you know, how far you can take this. Well, um, you're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. We're going to take another quick break. For more information about business innovation, please follow me on Twitter at BizReinvention. We'll be back in two minutes. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24 7. It's in the home, it's on the go, it's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior government involvement, and of course, technology. What does it all mean? 
Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. Well, we have talked a lot about different areas that healthcare reform will impact on. Um, change is very hard, um, and it's a very long process. Um, so, Darren, I'm curious how you know how ready do you think that healthcare providers are for the changes that brought on um, by the healthcare reform, um, and and what do you think the future will look like? I think physicians are going through a big. Um, I mean, talking with just physicians, I think there's a there's definitely a shift in the mindset of, of physicians um, in terms of, um, you know, how they practice, even where they practice, under what kinds of conditions. I think more and more you're seeing a younger generation of physicians that are quite content with being employed, not necessarily, you know, going into independent practice. I think being in independent practice is increasingly difficult with all the payment regulations and all the other burdens that are placed upon the, pra- the practice. Um, increasingly, you'll see these employed physicians, which I think is, is I think on the on par better because you're getting physicians to really focus on caring and not the business of healthcare, which is, I think a I think a good thing. When there's employed physicians within a health system that is looking to provide the best value across all their patients, that's I think provides better care and gets on top of problems and in individuals before it becomes a big issue. Um, but again, it's, certainly as I mentioned. Some of the higher-paying specialties um, are going to see big changes in, in their um, salaries and reimbursements, um, and hopefully that will trickle down to the primary care physicians, which for a long time have been very underpaid and undervalued, and that's really where I think a lot of the prevention and, and a lot of the um, treatment is going to occur to really keep patients healthy and out of the hospital. Um, so it's kind of hopefully where I think things are going, but at the same time there's a shortage of physicians that is only going to get worse we have to look at innovative ways to make better use of other what they call ancillary providers that are going to work with the physician on a team, a care team. So pharmacists, you talked about the Walgreens providing care in, these, in, a, in certain settings, um, you know, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, um, nutritionists, and others that are really providing a team approach to care. So that's the other thing I wanted to really emphasize here is that it's no longer just the physician and the patient, but I think the physician with the care team providing a, a, a uh, care for that individual, which I think is more comprehensive um, and I think will be a good thing overall. Yeah, and one of the things you mentioned was the career path uh, for physicians, and, and you yourself have chosen a very different um, career path as well. You went through med school and you worked in the hospital, and then, but you, you, you're I guess aspiration has always been to try to reform the medical practice. Um, how has the journey been for you? Uh, it's 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 interesting. I certainly, when I started off, was uh, very unconventional. I, I did work in graduate work in health policy and um, decided that I wanted to uh, really change medicine, help to change 
health care because there were certain a lot of issues and challenges at the time, and there still are. Um, but I decided to do so after really understanding what it is to, to practice medicine, to lear- learn the art of, of medicine. So I went to med school and residency and uh, internal medicine. And after that, had then went to um, uh, industry, really, um, building companies that provide uh, solutions uh, really on the ground to you know, these health systems and others that could take advantage of it. So um, I've seen an evolution over the years as I've done this, that more and more physicians are looking at unconventional, what was thought of as unconventional paths, taking that medical degree and looking to be consulting or on the business side or the government or advocacy. And, um, you know, so there's lots of different options, certainly. And I think it's all, it's all for the better. I think it's a unique perspective that you bring when you're, you, you've had that, that medical training, um, you know, in, in looking at ways to transform uh, healthcare delivery for, for the better. Mm. Um, well, there are also a lot of startups um, try to take advantage of the opportunities created by the healthcare reform. Um, but I would think that it's quite challenging to um, break into the healthcare sector, which is often considered to be very complex and conservative. Um, what have you found to be the success factor for um, having high adoption rate um, or building a relationship with your uh, potential customers? I think that you need to find uh, an area that... Um you can really do things differently. Um, certainly, healthcare is conservative, but if you can do things differently in, a, in an innovative way, and that's no different than any other industry. But I think healthcare is conservative by nature, and they want they want to see proof of what you've described. So, you know, to start, it's going to be really important to get that early adopter customer, that one that's going to really take a chance and you know provide a a, um, a environment for a pilot to really demonstrate the value of what you're going to do in a real world setting. And then take that as, as um, learning uh, and then demonstrate your, what you're able to do to others. Um, but, but it has to start slow. It's going to be something that is you're going up against a very, an industry that's seen a lot, has heard a lot of promises, often not delivered. Um, and, so, um, and it can be a very crowded space. Healthcare is a large part of our economy, and there's certainly lots of vendors and companies that are trying to provide services. Um, big and small, so it can be very noisy marketplace. Mm, definitely, but what you're doing um, is also very innovative and impactful. So I want to thank you for your great work, but also for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I also wanted to extend the thanks um, to our audience um, for tuning in today. Make sure to join me again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific time for another great episode of Business Reinvention. And for more information about business innovation, follow me on Twitter at Biz Reinvention or go to bizreinvention.com for more information about our show. Take care and have a wonderful week. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.